0: This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. How are you doing, Chad?
1: I'm doing all right. It's been a, a rainy week, rainy, dreary week in Texas uh, recently. It's actually raining still right now, so... I've uh, been fighting through that, but I'm glad to be back home. This is my first time recording with you in a couple of weeks, because or at home in a couple of weeks, because last week even <laughs> I was at my parents' house. And so it's it feels like I haven't done this in a while. But uh, anyways, it's just nice to be comfortable in my own place. How are you?
0: I'm well. I got to spend two nights um, in the country out of New York. It was nice. Um, went to a friend's house in Pennsylvania she lives um about an hour outside of Philly and just got to go over there for the weekend and do nothing and eat good food drink good wine hang out it was very needed
1: uh get anywhere near Scranton by any chance
0: <laughs> I don't think so i don't know Pennsylvania um, geography really well but i do have a friend that's from scranton that i went to school with um up here in new york which is kind of funny but He's not an Office fan, so (laughs) he doesn't count, of course.
1: (laughs) I've been playing song pop off and on for a year or so, mostly against random people. And there's this guy I play who's from Scranton, Pennsylvania, according to his song pop page, at least. And I I keep wanting to mention it, but I just I get the feeling that people from Scranton hear enough about it. So I kind of want to leave him alone about it.
0: It's kind of their one claim to fame. (laughs) Well, we have some... Uh new reviews again, lots of, of uh growth this week in numbers. So thank you all very much. If you're listening for the first time, hello, welcome. Uh we have some new reviews on iTunes from Sparkling Eyes04, from B Castle or B Castle, and from S. Riker. S. Riker, I think is how you say it. Uh, thank you all very much for your reviews. We also have some Facebook ratings and reviews. Reviews from Chris Fisher and David J. McCorder, and a rating from Amanda Henderson. So thank you all very much for um, finding us on Facebook and rating. We really appreciate it.
1: Yes, very big help. Thank you so much for all of that. And I just want to mention, because this is cool, S. Rikar left us a review on the Indian iTunes store. So uh, not our first international review, but it's always cool when those pop up. So thank you to everybody who listens and leaves us that feedback. Um, now something that we just posted today, today's as in Wednesday. So yesterday, as of when you're listening to this, uh, we have put together a survey that we would love for you to pay attention to and fill out for us because it is us trying to find ways to expand this show. Um, and that includes bonus content. So whether that is access to our notes before we record and, uh, Katie and I both take a lot of notes, so you'd be able to sort of see our thoughts before we actually sit down and talk to each other. Uh, And then possibly a call-in voicemail line that allows you to call into the podcast and we could potentially play those on the show in some sort of listener segment. And that would be a lot of fun or live stream us recording if you want to stay awake with our erratic recording schedule. You're welcome to do that That, as a possibility. Or even just bonus episodes of some form. Uh, We wouldn't know what those would include just yet, but that's a possibility. And so uh, these are all things we're exploring, and this would be behind a sort of monthly subscription service called Patreon, where you would be able to determine how much you would like to give us per month. And there would probably be different tiers, like a $1 level, $2 level, et cetera, uh, where you would have different access to different content based on your subscription. And just to be clear, nothing about the normal show that you're listening to right now that it comes out every week would change. It would be the exact same thing. There would just be more for people who are interested in paying for more. So uh, always going to be free, but if you want to shell out a little bit of extra money and help us out, make this a little bit more worth our while. Not that it's not worth our while at all, because we both have a blast doing this, Uh, but it'd just be a little bit extra incentive for us and it would help us to do more things for you. So uh, yeah, please go over to iTunes, no, not iTunes, go over to Twitter or Facebook, or if you check the show notes in your podcast player, there should be a link in that as well, uh, where you can find that survey. And if you fill that out, it'd be a big help.
0: We're also possibly thinking about some merchandise for the show, shirts, mugs, stickers, stuff like that. Uh, so also click the link, fill out the survey, share your thoughts on that. Um, we would love to, you know, hypothetically one day come across some, uh, some listener in an American Workplace t-shirt. I mean, that would be pretty cool. So let us know if you're interested in that uh, through the same link as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. And uh, should be noted, I already have stickers made for us. Uh, I've got like 49 of them because I have one of them on my laptop. So (laughs) I'd love to hand some of those out. Um, We'll we'll see what happens. Just go to the survey, let us know, and we'll see where we progress. Uh, Now, before we move on to our episode uh, discussion, we are on to disc two of season four. And so there was one special feature on disc one I wanted to mention. Uh, which is a short 24-second video of Steve Carell talking about rabies, uh, which is a reference to Fun Run, uh, the the premiere. And it, it's just him being ridiculous for 24 seconds. And I think that the standout quote is when he dejectedly says, 1,000 Americans die every 4,000 years <laughs> to rabies. So he's upped those those numbers to make it sound significant. But you have to realize that America has only been around for about 200 50 years going on and uh, 1,000 people every 4,000 years is, I mean, I, I would say nothing to sneeze at, but it's definitely something you can sneeze at. <laughs> that, that is not significant at all. So it, it's just a funny, short little snippet. It was probably some sort of commercial or promo for the show before it premiered. And uh, it, it's probably on YouTube if you wanted to go try and find it. But onto our discussion, we're talking about episode four, which is titled Money.
0: Money, aired on October 18th, 2007, was both written and directed by Paul Lieberstein, and this was Paul's first time directing the show.
1: Michael and Jan are still living together following her being fired from Dunder Mifflin, and things are not going well because she is spending all of his money at a very rapid rate. Over the course of the episode, we learn that Michael has taken on a second job as a diet pills salesman or telemarketer, whatever you want to call him, and he's actually had to take a couple of advances on his paychecks as well. So as he tries to figure out what to do with his mounting debt, Dwight is still trying to face the fact that he and Angela are no longer together. Uh, To cope with his alone time, he's turned Shroot Farms into a quaint agro-tourism venture. He's not so keen on calling it a bed and breakfast. It's agro-tourism. So Jim and Pam decide to spend the night together at Shroot Farm to see what life is really like where Dwight and his cousin Moe's live.
0: Yeah, it's not our first uh, foray into Shroot Farms, but it's our lengthiest so far. We've gotten to see quite a lot of it in this episode, and I love that. I love Moe's so much, oh, I think me I too. mentioned. Um, <laughs> so anytime I get to see Moe's is, is a good episode.
1: And Moe's is definitely like the, the high point of this episode, because we were talking before we hit the record button, Katie, this is actually a pretty depressing episode. There are definitely its, its standout moments that make you laugh, but... We've got multiple characters who are just miserable.
0: I think it's a really well-balanced episode. There's a lot of um, depressing stuff, you're right, between Michael and his financial troubles and his relationship troubles um, and Dwight and his relationship troubles with Angelo. We see him sobbing in the stairwell at one point. We will definitely get to that in a minute. But it's really well-balanced with a lot of good comedy, too. Um, So, yeah, one of my favorites, I think.
1: Just starting off with Michael, uh, it opens with him, well, aside from the cold open, which we'll talk about, uh, it opens with him and Jan talking about, uh, um, goodness, curtain, color choices, because Jan would like to sort of reupholster his entire condo. She's already bought new carpet. They're wanting to buy a new sofa. They're getting new curtains. And Michael says what does it cost? And Jen responds with, it costs what it costs. And Michael rightly calls her out saying, that, that doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't. Because it doesn't justify buying what you can't afford. It, it's like people who's who go and buy something extravagant because it's on sale, because you're saving a lot of money. Well, newsflash people, you're not saving money if you're spending money.
0: Yeah. It, <laughs> it, it's like... Yeah, if I needed a new pair of jeans and I had to buy a new pair of jeans anyway, sure, I'll buy the ones on sale. Because in that case, yes, I would be saving money buying something that I needed to buy. She did not need to reupholster his entire apartment. They did not need all of this new stuff. But to Jan, she's just got to do it. It's just, it's a bargain. And um, again, it's not her money to spend. Mm -mm. Um, She is not working. They are not married. They presumably do not share a bank account, um, although I, I don't know. Maybe they do. She, she certainly has access to his finances and is going through them rapidly.
1: We don't actually have an answer to that in this episode. Uh, at, I think it's Oscar who at some point asks, what about Jan? Doesn't she have money? Michael says, we don't talk about her money. So I would assume that Jan does have her own finances and would be capable of supporting herself somewhat, uh, but is instead using Michael's account to fund her extravagant desires and uh, trying to show off with these cosmetics, basically, is what it amounts to, is cosmetics, things that are just for looks. Uh, And she's just generally taking over his life. She's demanding use of the car when he needs it for improv, he says, or it's actually for a second job as we find out. It actually kind of pissed me off when she told him, you need it for improv, right? Well, just pretend you have a car. That's good practice for when you have to pretend you have a car. I was actually like momentarily livid. I was like, are you kidding me? That is not cool, Jan. And it turns out later, she didn't even need it for anything. Oof. (laughs) <laughs> I get heated about that.
0: <laughs> and of course it's absolutely heartbreaking when we learn that Michael is putting on this act and saying, Everything's fine, I'm just going to improv when in fact he is heading to his second job. So I think he, he says later in the episode he's working from five to one AM. Yeah. So Dunder Mifflin, nine to five, and then five to one. That doesn't leave a whole lot of Michael time. And uh it's just so sad that he has to cover up all of his trouble um financially from Jan when she's the cause of his financial trouble and go work another job and he didn't even get the car to go to his second job. It's just really it's sad.
1: And the the, the camera crew first follows him. We see him catching a ride on a bus over to his new, his second job and as the, the camera walks into his office space and walks up to his cramped little cubicle that is his own little space. Uh, and he he looks at the camera and, oh snap, they found me. And he he unenthusiastically tries to convince the camera crew that he got this job because he just loves sales and doesn't get to sell, uh, sell enough as a manager. And he says, I, I count it as a hobby. Some people have golf or uh, relaxing, and he just sort of trails off. it's it's it is it's sad. and then to to add another cherry on top of this whole messy ice cream platter that Jan has created of his life, he or she shows up to pick him up in in the car, which is a Porsche, by the way, because they consolidated the vehicles to save money, but then they got a Porsche, whatever. Uh, and uh she says i've had too much wine you drive so after working 9 to 5 then 5:30 to 1 at two different jobs he doesn't even have the the she doesn't have the courtesy to drive him home instead forcing him to do it himself
0: right cuz she's been drinking it's just uh, it's it's really upsetting um not a good light for jan at all um and Michael does not enjoy this job. Uh, we we see a bit during the episode, and even more during the deleted scenes, where he's just not enjoying himself. However, what's kind of cool about Michael in this job is that we know Michael at Dunder Mifflin. We know he is kind of lame <laughs> to the people at Dunder Mifflin. He's not <laughs> he's not funny. He's not liked particularly. But at this. Um, call center. He's really liked. He's cool. Um, people think he's funny. They ask him to uh, to hang out quite a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he's so different at this job. I think it's because he's just frankly exhausted and doesn't have the time or the energy to put on his, you know, acts. But people really like him, and he doesn't see it at all, which is again really heartbreaking. He doesn't see that people really like him.
1: It's another display of his people skills, and that's sort of his his downfall at this job, aside from it taking all of his free time. He he wants it to be an outlet for his people skills, and he is supposed to stick to a script to sell these, these pills that presumably don't work, uh, but he ends up trying to talk to these people and have conversations with them and get to know them and make the sell that way uh, rather than tricking them through a script and moving on to the next one and tricking them through a script and moving on to the next one. And it, it, it's not his strength, obviously that he, he gets chastised for it by his new uh, boss, Mr. Figaro. And still he, I I think he is seen in a different light by his coworkers because he's not the manager. So it almost makes me wonder what he was like at Dunder Mifflin before he became boss, you know?
0: Yeah, I wonder if he was that people-pleasing, um, joke-making guy. I want to say he was. I mean, we've seen um, evidence of him as a child being just... We He, he was going to turn out this way. <laughs> Let's put right. it that way. Um, but I don't know if being a boss is what made him... The, the Michael we know. I'm not sure.
1: I would I would argue that Michael probably still is the same way he was as an employee at Dunder Mifflin. It's just like I said, being put in a position of authority puts a different expectation on you. It makes people view you through a different lens and it makes certain things not okay that might have been okay before. And so what? were Michael, I don't want to say failure, Michael's failure as a boss, but not failure, just to be clear. I think he is adequate when he needs to be. (laughs) Uh, But uh, his failure is that he tries to be the person that everybody likes, when really that's not what you want in a boss necessarily. That can come along with the package. You can be a likable boss. But as a boss, you have to get work done. And he's not always adept at doing that. And even at this new job, he's not adept at doing that. And uh, this new job does affect his work at Dunder Mifflin because he's out so late, doesn't have any free time, gets to bed presumably a lot later than he normally would have. I mean, I think 1 a.m. and I mean, (laughs) both of us are... Uh, well used to seeing 1 a.m. And in fact, it's past 1 a.m. for you right now. Yeah,
0: I'm I'm 20 minutes
1: past. (laughs) And I'll be there by the time we're done here. But uh, Michael's clearly not used to it and he's tired and it affects his work. Um, Ryan asked him to prepare a PowerPoint presentation because apparently he wants the employees of Dunder Mifflin to use PowerPoint for some reason. Uh, I mean, I guess I can't question it too much because Oscar does use it for, non-work-related reasons in this episode. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I don't know. It just seems like a weird software to require everybody to be familiar with uh, in a paper sales company. But I won't question it. Michael doesn't prepare is the bottom line because he's too tired and doesn't have the time to do so.
0: And it definitely affects him, as you said. Um, It is obvious that he has never even opened up PowerPoint. Um, (laughs) As Ryan collects everyone in the conference room to do this presentation. Um, Michael, first of all, kind of struggles to find PowerPoint on his computer. And then it opens and says, welcome, new user. And Michael is so um, committed to keeping this presentation going in his sleep-deprived state that he just, great, so this will take some time to set up. And, you know, he's just going to drag them along through the whole setting up of a program. Uh, but Ryan calls him out pretty immediately and says, you know what? No, you didn't prepare. Michael says, well, sorry, I, you know, I was working late at my other job, um, which Ryan says, quit the job or you're fired here. It's really simple.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael has this quote, says, it would have been nice to have done well with the first presentation Ryan gave me. But do you know what else would have been nice? winning the lottery, <laughs> because there's definitely a comparison between <laughs> those two things. Uh, but anyways, he quits his job. It, it really pains him. He doesn't like being a quitter, I don't think, especially in this instance, uh, because he does like sales and he does like people and he was liked by his co-workers, but it, he just couldn't get it to work the way he wanted it to. So he quits and we find out that he's been taking advances on his salary too. He asked Oscar asks Oscar for another advance. So I don't know if that means he's like two months ahead of his salary schedule and he's not going to get his next paycheck for, for another three months. I don't know. Um, but it's, it really shows the, the desperation, uh, at this point in his life. And he even goes to Kevin, who we know has a history of gambling. We saw him in poker night, uh, being pretty good at poker. And then there was that episode where him and uh, the whole office were making bets on things together. And so Michael says, do you know of any sure things that are guaranteed to help me double my money and then double my money again? Kevin points him to the mob. Not that he can point him to any specific person in the mob, but man, Michael's desperate.
0: He enlists Oscar or... Probably rather, Oscar volunteers his services to help Michael kind of sort out his financial trouble and maybe find some workarounds, consolidate his debt, try to just make the best of the situation so he's not totally devastated. Um, and who was it? Creed. It was Creed that said <laughs> Michael should probably declare bankruptcy. Um, we learn that Creed, what he does when he gets into financial trouble is sends his debt to a William Charles Schneider. And Mr. Schneider takes it over from there. So um, Creed, I guess, is debt-free. But he convinces Michael to declare bankruptcy. So Michael does exactly that. He bursts through the door and screams, I declare bankruptcy, which (laughs) um, is one of my favorite moments of the early uh, seasons of The Office. Honestly, that gets me every time and there are many a gif out there um so yeah. um oscar pulls him aside and says you know that's not actually gonna do anything that doesn't mean anything um but as i said sits him down and tries to make some kind of fix for the situation
1: yeah he, he puts everything into a powerpoint presentation and shows michael well, this is a stuff that you this is the money you're spending on essentials this is the money you're spending on non-essentials and this is the money that you're spending on stuff that nobody on God's green earth needs anything to do with and uh so they they call Jan up and try to explain the situation and Michael has Oscar try and soft nose it a little bit say yeah Michael did some fancy finagling and was able to cut it in half uh but what the way it actually comes out is uh Uh, Through some fancy money trickery, Michael is in severe debt. (laughs) Oscar skips a step in there somewhere, but Michael gives him the thumbs up. Jan, straight away, well, what happened, Michael? What happened to your money? How could you have done this? I can't believe you've been so irresponsible. And so really not great feelings towards Jan from the two of us while watching tonight uh, because she's accepting no blame for this. And really this whole... This whole episode has been another exercise in Jan's selfish tendencies from using Michael's money to hogging the car for no reason to making Michael drive himself home at 1 a.m., blaming him on for his money problems. And then when she shows up after Michael has had enough and just runs away to the train yard, uh, yeah, the train yard, uh, she shows up in the parking lot. To find Oscar and just tosses her keys at him like he's some sort of valet, and I don't know if that's uh her. I I don't know what to take from that. Whether it's a racist act or uh, a class act, classism act. I mean, uh, I I don't know. But in any case, it's extremely rude. She just tosses him her keys and then runs away toward to find Michael. Uh, so yeah, we're not big Jan fans in this episode, but she does end on a somewhat redemptive note.
0: She finds Michael at the train yard and at first kind of grates on him some more, says, well, where are you going to go, Michael? Your debt follows you everywhere electronically. Like, you're not going to escape this. Um, but she ends up saying, you know what? When the company laid me off, my family and friends all kind of abandoned me, but you were there you stuck by my side, so I'm going to do the same thing for you because you're someone worth sticking beside. And so she hops on the train with him, which is stationary. But she <laughs> says, so where is this train taking us? Um, which is pretty awesome. I do not like Jan in this episode or at all mm-hmm. a lot of times, but this was one of the first times, if not the first time that we have seen her really stick up for Michael um for something real and this is sort of a do or die Bonnie and Clyde like if you're going down I'm going down too because you stuck it out with me so okay a rough episode for her but <laughs> she kind of brings it back
1: it is a genuine moment and I hope for the best but I can't help but have that little like thorn in my side telling me she doesn't mean it. She is just winning Michael over for the moment so that he continues his hospitality towards her. And things aren't always going to be this sugar sweet. So we'll see what happens. But that just based on Jan's tendencies that we've seen so far, I don't have the utmost faith in her loyalty, I suppose, is a way to say it.
0: A lot of Michael stuff this episode, but it was a big Michael episode. Yeah. Um, But we have some other people to talk about. We have, uh, let's talk about Dwight, because this is, he's got a big arc in this episode.
1: It's officially official that him and Angela are separated. It, It happened like two episodes ago. And then last episode, we said it's official now. And now this episode, it's even more official because he has taken the stuff that she left behind at his place and brought it back to her. Uh, and to to sort of occupy his free time now that it's not being spent with Angela, uh, he's begun this bed and breakfast agro-tourism venture uh, at Shroot Farms, and Jim and Pam decide to take him up on it and go through the motions and uh, enjoy themselves exploring what Dwight's home life is like and what Moses is like and all that kind of stuff. Um, But what, what Dwight puts on as a face is quickly wiped away during that trip because they, they start to see how tormented he really is.
0: In the middle of the night, Jim and Pam wake up to this moaning, crying sound and, Pam says, your turn, because she had previously woken up to the sound of a slamming door, which was Moe's in the outhouse. <laughs> so this this time was Jim's turn to go find out what the odd noise was. And he tracks it down to Dwight's room, um, where Dwight is just sobbing, crying. Um, Jim knocks and goes in and just doesn't say anything to Dwight, but kind of wants Dwight to know, okay, I'm here. I know what you're doing. I know what you're going through. Um, it's one of their couple of nice moments this episode, but Dwight is not in a good place.
1: It, it it's, it's heart-wrenching because it's not like he's moaning in his sleep. This is him so tormented in his waking hours that he is literally sitting alone moaning with his loneliness. And to top it off, he is holding... This little porcelain cherub that Angela claimed to have left behind at the, earlier in the episode when they were exchanging the stuff that she left behind, she said, well, I'm missing this. And he says, well, that's not there. Well, we see it's definitely there. He held onto it as a sort of keepsake, and now he's holding it, cherishing it, as he sobs because she's gone. Uh, so it's it's really terrible to see how affected he is by their breakup, and no matter what he tries to cover it up with with his bed and breakfast with building tables with his job whatever it might be he's very tormented and later we see him playing uh Bon Jovi's You Give Love a Bad Name on the recorder by the dumpster outside the office building and uh then we start to see Andy uh starting or continuing to pursue Angela uh which leads to him just sort of leaving Dunder Mifflin he just walks out goes to the stairwell and resumes his sobbing that he had done the night before
0: Jim and Pam made eye contact in that moment and Pam sort of telepathically uh, urged Jim to go chat with Dwight because um, they've been kind of keeping tabs on him I mean this that's what their whole visit to the Schrute Farms was about um, essentially I think was to help Dwight get over Angela Mm -hmm. and so Jim decides to go meet Dwight in a stairwell and it's this really intimate quiet scene where Jim talks about why he left Scranton originally um, when he left to go work at Stanford and that was Pam and he says I wouldn't wish my heartache on anyone on my worst enemy." and on you. I would not wish that on anyone because I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I was just distraught. And he kind of lets Dwight cry it out a little bit. And then he gets up and leaves and Dwight reaches over, presumably to hug Jim and Jim's gone. Um, Just a really, really nice scene.
1: It's a moment of solidarity from Jim. And I think that this is a potential huge turn in their relationship because so far between between Pam and Dwight, we've had a couple of sweet moments. Notably, there was the injury when Dwight suffered the concussion and he was really sweet to Pam. Uh, but they, they had a couple moments since then. like uh, I think it's Diwali when Pam was crying over Jim not being present and uh, Dwight assumes she's going through uh, menstruation And is not in a good mood because of that. But he nonetheless comforts her. Um, So we've seen those tender moments. But so far between him and Jim, it's been pretty antagonistic nonstop. Um, And there have been lighter moments of that. There have been heavier moments. But this is the first one where it's just been like Jim, Dwight, finding solidarity together, going through heartache or at least sharing their heartache together. and. Like you said, Dwight does reach out to try and hug Jim or thank Jim or whatever it may be. Jim has already gone back to show his affection to Pam, but uh, even though Dwight returns to more of his former self as soon as he returns back to his desk, uh, I, I think that this is an indicator that things might be at least a little bit different between him and Jim, maybe a little bit less antagonistic. And it's worth noting that when he returns to his desk and takes his ruler and clears the space over his desk between him and Jim, uh, he did the exact same thing in the pilot episode. So this is really the, yeah. the, the showrunners, the writers telling us Dwight is back to himself.
0: I would see that big smile on Pam's face like we did it. He's back.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He's returned. Um, You alluded to Jim Showing his affection for Pam, after he leaves the stairwell with Dwight, he walks right up to the office, Uh walks straight up to Pam. Pam is talking about, hey, what are you thinking about dinner tonight? Um And Jim just doesn't even say anything. He just goes and gives her a big kiss on the mouth. And Pam is just giggly, nearly. I mean, <laughs> she's just, what are you doing? We're in the middle of the office. Like, they've never been very obtrusive never really pda in the office um but jim just can't help it he just is so in love with her at that moment oops let it slip i guess um because they're talking after that he says oh yeah dinner i was thinking we'd try that italian place then pam has a talking head and says uh yeah I guess Jim's just really passionate about Italian food. <laughs> Jim says, yeah, I'm, I'm very passionate about Italian food. In fact, I'm in love with Italian food. Of course, not talking about food, but about Pam. Of course. um, Just so sweet. Um, of course. And it's, yeah, so they are, I mean, obviously they're in love. Hi, it's been four seasons and we've all been rooting <laughs> for them since day one. Uh, obviously. Yeah, but, obviously. Yay. Uh
1: yeah, Jim. I think living through his heartache in season two, uh, or season three, uh, when he left Scranton mm-hmm. and went to Stanford, uh, and then coming back, or well, living through that with Dwight, I think it just really made him appreciate what he has now and how things have changed for the better. And so he is overcome and goes and kisses Pam. And they point out in the commentary, Jennifer uh, Fisher says, "You know, this is their their first public." Kiss. They they had their, like, little pecks on the cheek in the break room or something, but they are in the middle of the office, at the front of the room, right at reception desk, and he plants one on her. And so it's very public, and uh, it it says a lot about how they're progressing.
0: A couple more things, I guess, about Dwight, Angela, Andy triad there. I didn't think about this and I, it it may have been totally obvious, but I didn't think about the cat that Andy gives Angela (laughs) is garbage. The cat that Dwight gave Angela that she rejected. And he said he found it outside of Vance refrigeration and gave her this gray tabby cat. And that's garbage. And I just had to hit myself on the head because obviously, Um, so that was pretty funny. But this time Angela accepts the cat. Um, Angela, after that says that andy can ask her out to dinner and that would be all right so that kind of spurs dwight's whole um demise there
1: Regarding Garbage the Cat, uh, I wrote that in my notes for the first time. I don't know if I'd ever noticed that before either, but I, I put it in my notes with question marks. I was like, is this a thing? And then they confirmed it in the commentary. <laughs> and so I was like, yes, that is garbage. And it to- it, it's so thing. like devastating to Dwight that Andy just re-gifts the same exact cat with success this time. Uh, ooh, I-, I can only imagine how that feels in Dwight's shoes, especially when he was in love with this lady. And she just completely rejects the cat at first, and now she's accepting the cat from somebody else. Oh, that That's tough. But uh, that is a, a neat little throwback, because Andy did find garbage outside of Vance Refrigeration, which is where Dwight dumped the cat after Angela turned it down. Um, so there's that situation. There is Kelly, who is dating Daryl now, probably almost definitely just to make Ryan jealous, uh, when Ryan comes to visit, uh, in the conference room during the PowerPoint presentation, you have Kelly kissing Daryl, uh, before he leaves and she says, I'll see you later, babe. And he just says, I got plans and just leaves. <laughs> he, he He's not very interested in in Kelly's revenge dating or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and and in fact, later, Kelly tries to get Daryl to choose between her or his daughter. Obviously, he chooses his daughter. Nice. Uh, Ke- Kelly is yeah. all kinds of uh, crazy, and Daryl tells her so.
0: Yeah, I don't know what kind of person would think that a person would choose a very, very new girlfriend over a daughter, or really any girlfriend over a daughter. So that was... <laughs> Well, very Kelly. That's kind of what we expect, so yeah, it holds.
1: Daryl says, you need to access your own crazy side.
0: <laughs> I love this quote from Kelly. Um, she says, Daryl Philbin is the most complicated man I've ever met. He says exactly what's on their mind. What kind of game is that?
1: Right? <laughs> <That's so laughs> She's good. just
0: so used to playing her own little mind games that the idea that someone would just say what they're thinking is just completely baffling.
1: And speaking of Ryan, just want to mention, he greets the office with a very enthusiastic, how's my favorite branch? And nobody returns his enthusiasm because nobody cares. Nobody likes him, including Michael, really, at this point. Uh, And there's also that small moment after Daryl has kissed Kelly and she's said, uh, see him later. And he says, I've already got plans. He's making his way out. And Ryan is clearly just trying to sort of like stand tall. This is this doesn't bother me. I've moved on. Kelly and I aren't a thing anymore. And the closer Daryl gets, the more Ryan sort of deflates until eventually he he breaks eye contact and sort of brushes his shoulder, like, yeah, uh, no big deal. Whatever. <laughs> it, it it's like uh he's trying to be a man against Daryl being a man and he loses.
0: On to funny moments?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: I guess we should tackle the the cold open first. Um Michael has been watching some movies. He has, oh gosh, what is it? A Netflix subscription?
1: Yeah, it's Netflix.
0: Yeah. Um, And has been watching some new movies and walks in first thing, first shot of the episode and throws his coat just onto Pam's face. (laughs) His coat throws it at her. Um, And through some of his quoting, Pam has kind of deduced that he's watching The Devil Wears Prada and says things like, get me Armani. And Pam says, like a, a suit? He goes, no, on the phone. Armani on the phone. And so she's just realizing that, oh, good, he's he's channeling Meryl Streep in The Devil Wears Prada. Um, Finishes the movie, says, you know, I am so sorry if I was inappropriate or mean to you. Um, Turns out Meryl Streep was the bad guy all along. I had no <laughs> idea. She goes, great. And then the next day, presumably, comes in and says, um, how's it going, McCushla, or something like that? And it takes Pam a minute, but he's watching Million Dollar Baby, and she says, he's going to try to kill me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. that That's a, the, the 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 real comedy about it, I think, is that he's watching these at work in the slow moments according to him so he's only watching them in pieces and so he doesn't get the full story until three or four sittings in and so it it means that he gets attached to characters who maybe he shouldn't be attached to um i like how in the beginning after the the theme song when he's picking uh colors with jan he he well, this one matches my eyes and this one matches your eyes. And people tell me that I have pretty eyes and I haven't heard the same thing about yours. So we should pick <laughs> the one that matched mine. <laughs> uh, she's sort of astounded for just a second before she moves on, but it's just a funny thing. Like Michael, you're, you're her boyfriend. You need to tell her that she has pretty eyes and go with it that way.
0: Could have had a great opportunity there to be flattering, but didn't take it in the call center. Um, Michael's new boss calls for a what is essentially a conference room meeting. Um, and Michael whispers to the camera how useless these managers' meetings are. Hmm. Of course, this is a parallel <laughs> to his office, where everyone thinks his meetings are useless. So he's just completely, obli- completely oblivious to um, the parallel there and how he's just not exactly liked either.
1: Once he is forced to quit at this this telemarketing place he does the sort of Judd Nelson breakfast club fist pump as he exits nobody's paying him any attention uh but he has to he has to put it down to open the door and then once the door's open he puts it back up like people are still paying attention <laughs> to him and it's really just the camera crew which really means not really anybody's paying attention. It's just a, a funny moment for us the audience. And he says the same thing during a voiceover. Um he says but the good thing about the American dream is that you can just go to sleep and try it all again the next night. Not exactly how that works, but I I appreciate your enthusiasm and optimism, Michael.
0: (laughs) As always. Um, In the Shrewd family, apparently when a man sleeps with a woman, he is left a bag of wild oats on his doorstep by his parents, which is creepy, (laughs) to do with what he pleases. Um, And now that Angela and Dwight are broken up, Dwight can now sow his wild oats. Because as he says, do whatever you want with them. They're your oats. I don't care.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so you, can, gonna... you can make bread or whatever.
0: <laughs> Oatmeal. They're your oats. I don't care. <laughs> so he's going to go sow his oats.
1: Yeah, I love that there's that literal Shrewd family definition of the phrase, which really, uh, I looked it up to be sure. It, it's typically used for someone who is going and sleeping around with people. Uh, so... Not exactly the, the exact parallel, but it, again, it's just funny that there's a sort of a shrewdism along with that. Um, it's
0: closer than I thought, I gotta say. I didn't think yeah. it'd have to do with sex <laughs> at all, so that's, <laughs> there you go. Uh,
1: Pam has an all-star moment as they are first arriving at Shrewd Farms, where they're making beet farm slash motel puns. She first says, the Beats Motel, paralleling the Bates Motel from Psycho. And then uh, she has a couple more where she says, uh, embassy beats and the radish in. And Jim just says, how are you doing this? Because she's just spewing these out. It's it's a great moment where, where Pam gets to uh, sort of one-up Jim.
0: Michael is making his phone calls at the call center and unknowingly calls Stanley Hudson Ooh. and tries to cover it up with different voices. Stanley is thinking that Michael is just playing a joke and just being inappropriate and calling after work hours, but Michael is on his work hours and tries to cover it up, um, which only gives him away further. He goes, Señor, are you happy with your long-distance service? Which, again, isn't he selling diet pills? It seems like (laughs) his his calls kind of bounce back and forth as to what they're actually selling, but uh, Stanley is not very pleased.
1: He, he tries a couple of uh different accents. He he tries that one. He tries uh. Are you happy with your your K- or satellite subscription or something like that? <laughs> uh, Stanley says, "I know your voice, Michael," and I think we get our very first talking head that is not an actual talking head. Not I mean somebody out there correct me if I'm wrong, but uh we get the camera zoomed in on the phone and stanley's on speakerphone and he talks about how the last thing he wants when he's at home in his sweats drinking red wine is to hear from his boss michael scott (laughs) and so that it's a, a unique take on a talking head because it's not actually him present
0: michael um insults the heck out of vikram who is the top salesman at the call center Vikram, uh, was a surgeon in his home country and Michael assumes that medical school cost in his words, $40 or a donkey or something. (laughs) Um, and then goes on to say that he would have been chief of surgery, uh, pretty insulting to the guy who, you know, was a high level professional in his last life essentially, and then moved here and now makes calls for a living, um, but I'm better than that. I would have been your chief. I would have been your boss. It's just, oh yeah, not, not the time Michael.
1: Yeah. Thankfully, Vikram is pretty level headed and doesn't level any sort of responds to that because really it doesn't deserve one. Uh, Dwight makes what I, I took as a joke, but when I think about it, I'm not really sure if Dwight intended it as a joke. He says, and as of this morning, we are completely wireless here in Shroot farms. But as soon as I find out where Moe's hit all the wires, we'll get that power back on. <laughs> I want to assume that Dwight was smart enough to, to actually like make that attempt at humor, and I thought it was really funny. But part of me wants to say, no, Dwight was being serious. They M- Mose stole the wires because it's something that Moe's would do, and they'll try and get it back soon, but it's not there right now. So I don't know. Either way, it's really funny.
0: I'm trying to remember the nighttime scenes there. At Shroot Farms, and I think everything was lit by, like, oil lamp, so it could have been that they didn't have any electricity. It's
1: possible for sure.
0: (laughs) Speaking of uh, the Shroot Farms, Dwight reads Jim and Pam Harry Potter to go to sleep because Jim requested a bedtime story, (laughs) even though when he first asked, uh, Dwight said he would not. But sure enough, they're reading uh, Deathly Hallows, I think, right?
1: Uh, Goblet of Fire. It's the beginning chapter. Goblet of Fire. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah, I, I really thought that was funny too, because Dwight's really into it and Moses sitting there sort of curled up on Jim and Pam's, the foot of their bed and he's staring at them and, uh, he's wearing Jurassic Park, uh, pajamas or a Jurassic Park shirt or something. Uh, Moses is still very much a child, I think. <laughs> he's um, like
0: rocking back and forth creepily, like really yeah. wanting to be a part of this situation. It's very uncomfortable. <laughs>
1: Uh, speaking of Moe's, I'm as we mentioned, we both really like him. Uh, noted. It's it. He is portrayed by Michael Scher, who is one of the show's writers and directors. And we talked about the Good Place a few episodes back because we both really like that show, and he's the creator and uh, showrunner for that one as well. Uh, it's not nice, and nicely, uh, oh,
0: and and Parks and Rec. Oh yeah,
1: and Parks should and be Rec. Noted. Yeah, that, that's uh, good. Good point as well. Uh, but the first time he appears in this episode is as Jim and Pam are arriving at the farm and he is running with like his arms stiff at his side and he's just sprinting along and he looks over and he smiles and he crosses the road behind them and he he's just running across the field, uh, just unannounced. Oh, look, there's Moe's. Okay. Uh, interesting. <laughs> I, I just think that's so funny.
0: Uh, maybe the last one for me, since this is just such a big episode, um, Michael tries to convince the office once they hear that he's been having money tr- uh, money problems, that he doesn't have money problems, by taking a $1 bill out of his office, out of his pocket, rather, crumpling it up and putting it back in his pocket. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a few things here. It's a $1 bill, yep. so you could spare it. Um, crumpling it does nothing, and you put it back in your pocket, <laughs> so... Three strikes against you. We don't believe you. You are broke.
1: And they tell a funny story about that scene in the commentary. Uh, They were originally or it was originally in the script that Michael actually does rip it up, which still there's some comedy there because it's a one dollar bill. It's nothing in the long run. But then they found out that that's actually a federal crime uh, defacing or ripping up money. So they couldn't do that. And so they had him just crumple it instead. And it ended up being sort of a a backdoor reference or homage to the British office, because apparently there was a scene in that where David Brent, played by Ricky Gervais, uh, talks about how it's illegal to tear up money. So weird back and forth there, but it, it's a fun little coincidence and uh, interesting story behind why that scene is the way it is.
0: Any more for you in that?
1: Uh, just a couple of small things. There are a lot. Of, we, we talk a lot about classic office moments, uh, and there are a few of those. There was uh, Michael's "I declare bankruptcy." There's later in the episode where he climbs on the train and says, "I'm running away from my per- uh, responsibilities, and it feels good." Is that picture with the, uh, like the the scowl on his face as he just sits on the train thinking he's running away from it all? Um, there's Jim asking Dwight, "You okay?" Uh, As he walks in the office in the morning and Dwight responds, I am better than you have ever been or ever will be. (laughs) There's that one. There's Andy talking to Pam saying uh, or trying to get her to hook him up with Angela. And she says, well, I don't really think you'd be a good match. And because she's trying to save Dwight's feelings. And he responds, well, maybe you should look in the smart part of your brain. I would think that's a pretty well-known Andy quote as well. and. I think that's all of the 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 real classic ones that stand out to me, uh. But I just want to point out, lastly, the whole whoever versus whomever argument that takes place in the conference room. Oh yeah. Because well, one we find out again in the commentary that Paul Lieberstein, who wrote and directed, really fought to include that scene or to, to keep that scene in the final cut, uh, because he just thought it was funny, I suppose. But Ryan uses the word whomever. Michael tells him that that's not the right word. It should be whoever, because whomever is never actually right. Creed says it's a <laughs> word that was invented to trick students. Okay. Andy says, no, it's just the formal version of the word. Either one's correct. So far everybody's wrong, by the way. Right. <laughs> Even Oscar, who is the the resident smart guy, doesn't know when to use which. Uh and Michael sort of snarkly adds to the camera, oh, it's because it's uh his second language. Yeah. (laughs) You're right. But I would assume that Oscar learned English as a child. Uh, Kevin says he knows, but he's sort of throwing a tantrum because nobody showed up to uh, support his band, which by the way is Scrantonicity 2 because he left the original Scrantonicity. Uh, (laughs) Then finally, Pam gives the correct usage. They debate on how Ryan used it and what item in his sentence was the object. Kelly says... Ryan treated me like an object. <laughs> and then Toby finally, finally gives the final once and for all confirmation that yes, Ryan used it correctly. And Michael responds, Nobody asked you anything ever. <laughs> so it, it, it's it's a lengthy discussion for something that ultimately doesn't mean anything. But man, isn't that what The Office is? Is those moments that wouldn't belong in any other show, but just feel so at home here? It's a great scene for that reason.
0: That's one of those scenes that um, most of my friends who have seen The Office adore The Office. But the very few that don't like The Office, that's why. It's those (laughs) scenes. It's that stuff that I love. But they're like, it's just painful and it's about nothing. And I'm like, yes, exactly. It's great.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's the beauty Um, of it.
0: That's the beauty. And they hate it. But um, (laughs) that's kind of the divisive uh style right there is you love it or you hate it
1: now what about deleted scenes
0: um a few for me at the beginning at the beginning when we see michael in his office with jan picking out the uh curtain samples there's a a scene right before that that was taken out where jan has arrived at the office and michael is just stalling on time he does not want to talk to her at all she goes into his office and he is just trying to find someone to talk to so he can kill some time and and not go talk to her
1: yeah uh he he's asking who is andy stanley and phyllis about who (laughs) wrote shakespeare (laughs) well shakespeare is a person
0: (laughs) shakespeare wrote shakespeare
1: yeah yeah uh so that that that's a a funny moment, but yeah, it's him actively trying to avoid spending time with Jan. Um, we actually get talking heads in the deleted scenes from Mr. Figaro, who is the, the diet pill salesman boss, and from Vikram. Uh, Mr. Figaro talks about how yeah, we don't pay these guys much, but you know, they're, they're reading from a script. So, (laughs) and then Vikram says, yeah, I'm pretty much the only one who's not lazy. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, we get talking heads from both of them, which I I always like when we have these sort of one-off episodes that take place in other places and we get talking heads from those people, like back in the Dundies in season two, we got a talking head from the Chili's manager or, uh, I'm trying to think of other examples, but I just love when we visit other places and those one-off characters get to say one or two lines in a talking head and then we never see from them again. I think that's awesome.
0: At the call center, Michael is trying to um, sell his his diet pills on his cold calls and that's not going well. So then he tries to sell Dunder Mifflin paper. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Turns out that that, uh, that that client is already a Dunder Mifflin customer um, and it's kind of looking for a way out anyway. So Michael's sort of failing on both fronts.
1: Uh, at the agro-tourism uh, venue at uh, Shroot Farms that morning, uh, breakfast ends up just being an enormous pile of bacon, courtesy of Mo's. <laughs> I I just love it's It's nothing else. There's no eggs or hash browns or omelets or pancakes or anything. It's just here, have a big heaping pile of bacon. Which, I mean, I wouldn't yeah, they each complain. Get like, <laughs> they
0: each get like 10 or 15 strips. It's insane.
1: I wouldn't complain at all, but it, it, it is funny.
0: At one point, Michael apparently was told in his life that he needed to be putting his money into CDs or certificates of deposit. He misunderstood and bought many, many, many compact disc CDs. <laughs> um, yikes. So he... <laughs> for whatever reason, thought that that was a good financial investment and bought CDs of bands he didn't even like because he thought it would be a good uh, financial tactic.
1: There's a somewhat uh, disheartening deleted scene where Dwight is in Michael's office and he admits, he says, I'm discombobulated and I need help. And Michael just sort of shoos him away. So it's just another uh weight on Dwight's shoulders that the the man in this office that he would the only person in this office that he would turn to uh for help sort of shoes him away and shuns well not shuns him but ignores his problems in favor of his own. So uh that that that's sad.
0: And speaking of sad, Michael asks Phyllis how Bob is doing financially because <laughs> they apparently haven't chatted in about a year since Phyllis's wedding. And um, she says, yeah, he does pretty well for himself. And Michael ends up asking Phyllis for money, which, yeah, you don't ask anybody if you can help it for money. And you definitely don't ask your um, your subordinates in your office. Just but he's in a tough spot.
1: And lastly, for me, uh we get a snippet of Moe's on a trampoline while Dwight is building a table and Jim and Pam are on looking Uh, and is jumping up and down saying random things, presumably like moves, but he's just doing the same two jumps where he lands on his knees. He lands on his butt. He lands on his knees. He lands on his butts. But, but then he says like helicopter cannonball and he's saying all these random things (laughs) and Jim, Pam, look at me. Look what I'm doing. Watch me. And he doesn't think they're watching. So he stops and Dwight says, you really should be watching. I mean, he, he's really trying hard for you. <laughs> and uh, Mose says, well, I'll, I'll just stop if they're not going to watch. And Jim says, did we or did we not pay for a show? And so Mose continues on and Dwight continues building his table. It, it's just a, a lighthearted sort of ending to these deleted scenes.
0: As we mentioned earlier, we do have a commentary for this episode. It's our first of season four. Um, a few things on that. Pam, or rather, Jenna Fisher jokes that Pam has had a purchase order on her desk that they put there, I think, in season two. Mm-hmm. And she's been working on it uh, all the time. Apparently a very complicated purchase order that she just cannot <laughs> get to add up. Um, just one piece of prop that she's been playing with for two months. Or two seasons
1: yeah she she's holding it at the beginning in the cold open and then she's holding those same papers she claims at the end when jim kisses her um i, I love that melora hardin or jan uh while the theme song is playing says man that is just like all the the classic theme songs of the past and that that's gonna last for years and i just have to think man is she right <laughs> i mean we even borrow their yeah. theme song uh for the podcast so uh it, it sure has stood the test of time 10 years later or whatever.
0: The, um, at the end of the episode, Jim and Pam talk about their Tripadvisor uh, review for Shrite goodness for Shroot farms, uh, <laughs> bed and breakfast as it were. And they actually kind of talked to Tripadvisor. They made sure that this was allowed and put up a, uh, a listing for Shroot Farms on TripAdvisor and had a couple of um, reviews, a couple that the show did and then some fan ones even as well.
1: They, uh, John Krasinski actually pulled a prank on Jenna. She was saying when they were filming the drive up to Shroot Farms, uh, he turned on her seat heater uh, without telling her. And so here she was, in the middle of the California heat, sweating and uh, just feeling all hot and begging to have the AC blown on her uh, in between takes because John Krasinski snuck the seat heater on. And uh, it it was just a, a fun behind the scenes sort of thing where, yeah, even when they're not on camera, they're pranking each other in some ways.
0: In this episode, Angela Kinsey, who plays Angela Martin, was actually pregnant and was not showing yet. And then at the time of the commentary, Angela had had her baby just two days prior. So from now until, I don't know, assuming she was about three or four months pregnant at this time, um, definitely all through season four and possibly some of season five, she will be pregnant, which is something to watch out for if they start uh, putting things in front of her stomach.
1: Right. Right. And they actually mentioned like a mail cart or something that they moved away from Jim's desk over to Angela to hide a pregnancy bump. So we'll have to look out for that. Uh, Jenna mentioned that they shot all of the shoot Farm scenes in one long day, like a 14-hour shooting day or something like that, which is crazy. Uh, sounds exhausting to me, <laughs> but it also sounds like a lot of fun with Michael Schur and Rain Wilson and John Krasinski and Jenna Fisher all together. Uh, it sounds like a good time, but man, I'd be tired. Um, and speaking of the Shoot Farms, Dwight also, uh, th- they told us that Dwight's room had actually sort of been tripped out. They had a the, the giant plasma screen TV in there and a bookshelf with lots of books and other things we can't see. Uh, so Dwight's room was fully outfitted and Greg Daniels, the showrunner, they, they said they'd never seen him laugh as hard as he did when uh, during the table read, he found out that there was going to be a scene with Moe's, um, sitting in the outhouse with the, the door banging open. (laughs) He he apparently thought that was really, really funny. And everybody else thought that was really, really funny. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: we've seen Pam look a little bit different this season, her hair specifically. Uh, she's been curling her hair, which is not the interesting thing, but there's a new rule for Jenna and the hair and makeup team that it still has to look like Pam took no more than 30 minutes to get ready in the morning uh, because she just wouldn't have done that. So even though she's got this like new and improved look going on, it's still the same low-maintenance, easygoing Pam that we know, which is kind of cool that they they thought about what would the character really do here.
1: I love stuff like that. You know, we, we talked about before it was revealed that they had hired a an art student or somebody to draw Pam's artwork, and they picked it because it looked like artwork that Pam would draw. Or they revealed that Jenna listens to a playlist of songs that she thought Pam would listen to to get into character. Uh, so little stuff like that that helped to inform the characters and the, the actors within those roles. I, I love that kind of stuff. I think that's really cool.
0: Jenna commented that at Shroot Farms, Jim and Pam actually pushed the twin beds together in the hotel room. A little scandal. Um, there were two twin beds on on opposite sides of the room. And when they opened the door to leave, they had been pushed together. And they did mention that this is their first night away together. So this is a pretty significant trip, little trip inside of town. Um, but cool for them that they get to, this is their first outing as a couple.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I noticed that when looking through the crack in the door. So I'm glad it was pointed out that they had pushed their beds together. Um, They also mentioned that they had decided when writing this episode that they wanted more out of Oscar. Uh, And as a character who is smart and rational, he pairs very nicely with Michael, who is very much not smart or rational. (laughs) So I I like including him a little bit more.
0: I think that's it for me.
1: Okay, one more for me. Uh, Melora Hardin just told a, a brief story. She said, you know, somebody actually recognized my voice over the phone the other day because <laughs> we hear my voice over the phone so often in this show. Uh, so I, I thought that was a fun little tidbit.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, I have the discussion topic this episode. In Michael fashion, who spends too much money on things that he does not need, we see Oscar's uh, chart there of his spending on essentials, on a, his spending on things that he doesn't need, and there's a bar for spending on things that nobody ever, ever would need. Um, what is something that you spend too much money on? Maybe something that you don't need or that no one needs.
1: <laughs> in my defense, I haven't done this in a while, but uh, a couple years ago, i re taught myself a new way to solve the rubik's cube so i could be faster and in the the year or so that followed i purchased many rubik's cubes because something that may not be known (laughs) to people not in the cubing community i want to place myself firmly in the the area of dorkdom uh, the cubing community (laughs) completed um the there are different like makes and models of rubik's cubes like made by Chinese markets and companies that some of them turn better than others, some of them are faster than others, and all these variations that you really wouldn't expect from something that you would expect to be just a simple kid's toy. But it's true. There's there's very many makes and models, just like sports cars even. And so I have probably in excess of 30 to 35 Rubik's Cubes and all of them are different in their own ways. And so for a long time, I was spending way too much money probably on 3 by 3 Rubik's Cubes and even the 4 by 4 5 by 5 whatever other variations. Uh, and like I said, I haven't done that in a while. I haven't like, shelled out a whole lot of money. But for a while, every time a holiday would pop up and these cubing websites would have sales, I would uh, spend more than I should.
0: <laughs> Can you solve them all?
1: yeah yeah I can oh, well, I mean, most of them, Goodness. like I said, are, are the three by three Rubik's cubes, and i I can actually solve one pretty consistently in about twenty five seconds, and my fastest time is fifteen seconds so
0: well, okay, yeah,
1: it was my hobby for a Sheesh. long I mean it still is a hobby, but for a long time when I was more or less unemployed as just a substitute teacher, that's what I spent a lot of my free time doing is I'd put on Netflix. And I would just watch TV or whatever it might have been or a movie while solving the Rubik's Cube over and over and over again. And so, yeah, (laughs) that's that's mine.
0: (laughs) I don't have anything quite um, as fun as that, honestly. I just (laughs) spend way too much money on Amazon. Oh, I know
1: that struggle, too.
0: Oh, my roommate <laughs>, laughs at me because she's like, all right, you have another package. What is it? And I'm like, I don't know, because I have so many packages in transit from Amazon right now. Um, it's gotten to the point where if I'm not planning on going to the store, um, like the grocery store is one thing. But like if I need, oh, Swiffer pads or something like for my floor for dusting or something, and I'm not going to go to a store that has them, I just like buy it on Amazon. It's really bad. It's a problem. But Prime is free shipping, and I just can't resist it. And it's an addiction, and I need to stop.
1: Yeah, Amazon Prime (laughs) is awesome uh, because you can get stuff sometimes the same day, and that's really addicting. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, ooh, this is not unreasonably priced, and I could get it in two hours. So, yeah, Yeah, I'll buy this. (laughs) I'll just
0: like have a fleeting thought of, oh, my desk is cluttered. Let's find a tool that will, you know, help me organize my desk and I'll just go on Amazon and just buy it. Like, okay, well, that happened very quickly. It's just it's yeah, it's a whole struggle.
1: Like I said, I know that struggle all too well. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well that is the end of our thirty-second episode of an American Workplace. You can contact us at facebook.com slash workplacepod or at workplacepod on Twitter. You can rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and you can email feedback and ideas if you would like to to workplacepod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at KtLady623 or at facebook.com slash Katie.
1: The best place for me is at Chadadada on Twitter, that is D A D A D A, and also facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And don't forget my other show, Cinescope, where we talk about the movies we love and why we love them.
0: Show notes and contact information can be found at workplacepodcast.com. That's all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 32 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 33 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season four Local Ad and Branch Wars. Bye.